So this morning we're starting um, a new series about the church that Jesus would build and I'm kicking it off this morning by talking about church family. Jujo next week is actually talking about everyone having a voice (laughs) but anyway that's fine, it's alright, it's fine. Um, We're talking about family and we're talking about um, the church and this summer I've had um, a really lovely experience of of church family I um, really felt like in February that I really felt like kind of some days you get the Holy Spirit and you know he just wants to say something to you and I was spending some time with God and all I could think about was how I had to um, get some of our youth down to our vineyard um, summer conference DTI so we did that so that was August and we had um, 13 teenagers pre-teens and we had Anna so we had 14 of us and there was four leaders was a five, and then we met up at Teesside Vineyard, and what was so lovely is that we just did life together um, for those five days that we were there. We were there from the uh, first time we got up, and you'd see people come out with their bed hair and without their makeup on. That was me, and um, you'd see each other just as they were. We had food together, we had laughs together, we played together, we worshipped together, we searched for teenagers together. We just had such a lovely time and I just loved it. And when I came back, I was tired, but I was absolutely buzzing. And what I was buzzing from was just that experience of just that whole thing of family and being together. Because some of my most important and precious memories that I have of church from growing up from being a teenager are just those times where we've just hung out together, we've just done stuff together, we've done life together and we've been family So that was part of my summer that was just really precious. And you know, church is just such an important thing in Scripture. Jesus began the church through Peter. Jesus championed the church. Jesus loves the church. And he wants us to love the church. And the church isn't just when we come on a Sunday, which I'm sure you all know, but the church is people. It's God's people from every nation all over the world from some of the farthest flung places we are one we are the body of Christ and we are his church and we read about the very um, first church in the book of Acts and um, I apologize because I don't have a powerpoint so I made one at the start of the week and it was about something completely different <laughs> and then I ran out of time but I have spent so long praying over this talk this week and I really believe that God wants to say something powerful to each one of our hearts. It's going to be really, really life-giving. So have your ears open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. So the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. So we read about the very first church in the book of Acts. So 40 days after Jesus came back to life, he returned to heaven. But before he did, he instructed his disciples, there was about 120 of them by this point. He said, you must wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that my Father is promising. So here we are in Acts. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear them in our own native language? I'm not going to go through the list because it's quite long and I can't pronounce half of the names properly. But there were people there who were come all from all different nations. And they had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival, which I'm probably also going to pronounce wrong, so apologise in advance, Shavuot. It's spelled S-H-A-V-U-O-T. So that's why they were all there. Because I read this passage and I started to think, why, why were they all there? How come on that very day when God sent the Holy Spirit for the first time to kick off the church, how come there were all these people there from all these places on earth? And they were there because they were to celebrate a Jewish festival. But I thought about it. I thought God could have sent his spirit to them in the upper room the day before they arrived. He could have sent it after the Jewish festival had finished and they'd all gone back to where they came from. And I looked at it and I thought, I know why you did that. Because you wanted your church to be a worldwide church full of different people from every place and every language and every tribe and every tongue. That is why you did it then. Because the church is for everyone. Jesus' church is for everyone. There were Jews and Gentiles there. Gentiles and non-Jewish people. You and I. And previously, under Jewish law, the Gentiles had not been welcome in the temple. We would not have been able to go into the temple. But when Jesus died, Jesus died for all people everywhere to be able to receive the free gift of salvation and to be welcomed into the family of God. And later on in the book of Acts, if you keep reading, there begin to be arguments between the disciples because some couldn't get their head round the gospel. They couldn't get their head round the grace. They couldn't get their head round the fact that Jesus had died for those Gentiles as well as the Jews. He had died for everyone. The church was to be for every person on the earth. And Paul goes on to emphasize this in Galatians. He says, so in Christ, you're all children through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, there is, nor there is male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church that Jesus wants to build is a unified family where we don't divide because of difference, because of race or because of gender or because of finances or because of life situations. Jesus died once and for all for everyone to be welcomed into the family of God. And that is why it's so beautiful and that is why it's so unique and that is why at times that has been so challenging. And sadly, historically, sometimes the church has not always got it right. But Jesus wants us as a church to value and to treasure the diversity and beauty of his people. 
And I'm really looking forward to celebrating that this month through Black History Month. Jesus throws out the invitation. I loved it when Lillian threw out the invitation for her life group and said, look, we're seven. But this isn't an exclusive little group. This is for whoever wants to come. Our church isn't in an exclusive place. It's for whoever God brings through that door. It's for whoever we extend the invitation to. It is a growing family. It shouldn't be a stagnant family. It should be a family that grows and evolves where each of us welcome in. Jesus wants a church that's full of every kind of person. And he wants us to love each other because that is our greatest witness to the world. We need to love each other better than the, church, better than the world loves each other. And that is really challenging. Jesus invites us and the Bible teaches us to love in a way that's really deep and it's really hard sometimes because it costs us something. He invites us to give our time, but not just to the people that we already know or just to speak to the people who are just like us or just to be always with the people who see the world just the way we see it. But he invites us to get to know each other he invites us to be family. When we went to DTI in the summer, the kids that we took with us are so different. They are so different. We had every kind of personality. And we got to know each other. And it was great. Jesus invites us to worship together. To meet together. To serve each other. To look out for each other's needs. Jesus calls us to actively serve one another. Before Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another, in John 13, he had washed their feet. And it says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then it says in Luke 6, it says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this teaching really, really challenging. It's really challenging. Because it costs us something. It takes us outside of who we are. But it's for all of us. Because we're all part of Jesus' family, the church. And Jesus said that our best witness to the world isn't what we say necessarily but it's who we are, it's what we bring, it's the community that we build. John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Think how Jesus loves us. So also you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples 
if you love one another. People will know because it will be so radically different. It can only be accredited to the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. I love it when I see the church family coming together. We have um, been so thankful as a family over the last month for the loss of my incredible father-in-law. We've been so blessed and we've been so touched for the cards people have sent, for the food people have made, for the, just the lovely um, encouragement of so many people. And the way our church family came together and served tea and coffee and put out chairs and did so many lovely things for us at um, Alan's funeral was just incredible. That was such a beautiful, beautiful example of people being church. And people might think, well, I dare out. Or maybe on a Sunday, well, what, what difference does it make when I have a chat with someone? Or what difference does it make when I sweep up at the end? Or what difference does it make when I welcome people? What difference does it make? We all make a difference. We all bring something. We bring the beauty of Jesus within us because each one of us are vessels that carry the presence of God. Each one of us has value. Each one of us is treasure in God's hands, in God's house. So Jesus wants us to be a family that builds a church which has its foundations in unity and it has its foundations in godly love. And Paul challenged himself. Paul was one of the greatest church planters of all time. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he challenged himself on how he loved people. And I've never really noticed this before. But in Corinthians 13, Paul writes in the I. He doesn't write you. He writes I. And he says this. If I speak in the tongues of men of angels, but I do not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move a mountain, but I do not love, Paul says about himself, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not love, I gain nothing. The Holy Spirit reminded Paul that he could have every prophetic word under the sun, he could launch every church, he could live in poverty and give away everything he had. But if he didn't love people, if he didn't speak to people nicely, if he didn't seek to live in unity, if he wasn't kind, if he didn't bring a loving presence, if he was cross and harsh and angry and hard and bitter and unforgiving then God said it's worthless. He then shared, shared this with one of the early churches in Corinth and he reminded them that ultimately their Christianity was about how they love God and love people. And the more they love God, the more they will love people who have been created in his image. And then he goes on to say this about love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, it doesn't dishonour others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, it trusts, it hopes and it perseveres. Love doesn't fail, it never fails, but where their prophecies 
they'll cease. Where they're told, they'll be silenced. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But these three things remain. Faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. When you come to the end of somebody's life, the things that we normally reflect on about them is how they made us feel. What was their presence like? How did they treat us? What were they like? Not how much money did they have or what kind of house did they live in or what job did they have or how many prophetic words did they give in church or... No, no one really cares. At the end of the day, they come to someone's life and go, oh, weren't they such a lush person? I just loved being around them. They always encouraged me and they were really funny. And they would ask me how I am. It wasn't just about them. It was about me as well. And I have to say, when I've reflected on my father-in-law's life, he has inspired me to love better. And Paul wasn't sitting looking at others he wasn't sitting looking at the church in Corinth or in the other churches, looking at how others were loving and how they were loving him or how they were loving each other and finding fault. He sat with God and he examined his own heart. He sat with God and said, what about the I? What about me? Am I patient? Am I kind? Do I envy other people for whatever reason? Do I look at other people's life or other people's stuff or other people's situations saying, oh, God, why haven't you done that for me? I wish my life was more like that and I find myself envying them. Am I like that? Do I boast? Am I proud? Do I serve? Do I care? Do I admit when I'm wrong? Do I say sorry? Do I dishonour others by how I speak about them or how I think about them, how I treat them? Do I always put myself first or do I put myself out to listen to other people? Do I get easily angered? Do I store up in my mind how others have hurt me or offended me or slighted me? Or do I bring it to God? Do I forgive? And do I move on? And you know, sometimes at some point our honest answer has to be yes. My honest answer has to be yes to some of those things. Because we're all sinners and Christ died for us. And that is the good news. That is the good news. We don't have to sit here and think, oh, I'm such a terrible person because sometimes I do boast or sometimes I do get a bit jealous of somebody. It's okay. Jesus died for us because we are not perfect. And he can transform us from glory into glory. But all he wants us to do is to be honest and to be real with him and say sorry and invite him to help us to change. Not to sit and go, oh, woe to me, I'm such a terrible, 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 terrible person. Because last week I got so angry in traffic. That's not true, actually, but it's a good example. But I do sometimes. None of us are perfect. And that is okay. None of us love perfectly. And that is okay. But the challenge is, that we invite God to transform us. We ask him by his spirit and by his word and say, today, Lord, help me today to love you better. Help me to love the people that you love who are made in your image. Help me, Lord. And he will help us. I love this. Proverbs 19, verse 11. I find it really good. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience, 
and it is to one's glory to overlook an offence. It is to one's glory to overlook an offence. If there's just that kind of little thing and it's just niggling at you, you think, well, <laughs> it is to your glory, it is to my glory to overlook that offence. To give it to God, I think, well, I'm going to forget about it and move on. That's okay. And for our church family to be healthy, for our church family to be unified, the key is that we, like Paul, look at the eye. That we get alone with God. We delve into the scriptures to look for ourselves about what it says about how we love, about how we care. And we ask God to make us aware of our own heart. So when those times you think, "Mm, I'm not being very patient, or I'm not being very kind, say, I'm sorry, Lord, move on. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, how, how can I love the family of believers better? How can I just this day Maybe there's just something really simple I can do today. Maybe I could just ring someone up or I could just drop them a text and say, how are you doing this week? Or maybe on a Sunday you see someone just carrying something. Just, we just go and help them. Just tiny little things. It's not massive things. It was really lovely the other week when Karen and Belle put a lovely box of chocolates on our doorstep for our kids. That was just so lovely. Just little lovely things like that. They build family. They build care. They build friendship. Galatians 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. How can I wash feet today? How can I display the beauty that God has put in me by his spirit? And I love this quote um, from Reflections from a dying Jewish rabbi. When he reflected on his life, he said this. He said, When I was young... I set out to change the world. When I grew a little older, I perceived that this was too ambitious, so I set out to change my state. This too, I realised as I grew older, was too ambitious, so I set out to change my town. When I realised I couldn't even do this, I set out to change my family. Now as an old man, I realised that I should have started out by changing myself. If I had started with myself, then maybe I would have succeeded in changing my family, the town, or even the state, and who knows, maybe even the world. For us to be part of a healthy, loving church family, we need to begin always, always, always with God changing us. And that's daily. Lord, change me. I'm just going to read this one more quote from a lady called Barbara Brown Taylor. It says, The wisdom of the Desert Fathers, if you don't know who the Desert Fathers are, the Desert Father and Mothers were a group of Christians who lived about one and a half thousand years ago. And they kind of took themselves away from society and they created a community um, where they really sought the presence of God. And after a while, people would come to them because they sensed so much of the presence of God in them. So it's Barbara Brown-Taylor says this, that the wisdom of the Desert Fathers includes the wisdom that the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love the neighbour as the self. To encounter another human being, not as someone you can change, fix, help, save, enrol, convince or control, but simply as someone who can spring you from the prison of yourself. 
if you allow it. All you have to do is recognize another you out there, yourself in the world, for whom you may care as instinctively as you care for yourself. To become that person, even for a moment, is to understand what it means to die to yourself. This can be as frightening as it is liberating. It may be the only real spiritual discipline that there is. Wow. Does anybody other than me feel challenged by this? I know we're not American, but a little response. Does anybody feel challenged? I feel challenged. Good. That's good. (laughs) It's good to feel challenged. But do not feel convicted. Do not sit and feel guilty because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not convicted, but we do get nudged by the Spirit. And that is good. That is healthy. Um, This week, when I was praying about this talk, um, I had a picture in my mind. I was walking through the community centre while I was making myself a cup of coffee. And I saw something in my house that I I brought with me. Um, I saw this drawer, and this drawer lives in the sideboard in our dining room. Could you exhibit the drawer? Thank you. That would be really, really helpful. (laughs) Exhibit A, the drawer. And I thought about this drawer, and I knew God wanted to say something. Show the drawer. Show the drawer. Yeah. Does anybody else have a drawer in the house that just kind of collects stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And when you've got something, you think, I don't quite know where to put that. I'll just stick it in the drawer. Yeah, well, that's that drawer. So this is that drawer in my house. I was like, Lord, why are you giving me a picture? That's my, that's my stuff. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, what do you want to say? And I knew I had something to do with this talk. I had, knew I had something to do with church. I knew I had something to do with family. So I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say a few things by it. So I imagined myself and I imagined you and I as we were all like this draw. We're total, complete and utter mixed bunch. And in my draw, let's just say this is me. So there's some stuff in my draw like a few coloured pens bit creative, bit wacky maybe, brighten the place up hopefully. There's other things in this drawer, I can't say I use this one very much, I'm not a mathematician, thankfully those days are gone. But in my drawer there are loads and loads of different things and in me as a person there are loads of different things that God has put in me, that he's made me uniquely me. And in you, as a person, there are things in you that have made you uniquely you. And when I was looking at this drawing, I was like, what are you going here? Where are you going with this, Lord? And I saw in this box, there's coins. There's also a needle. I'm trying not to stab myself with it. There's coins in here. And I looked at them and I thought, I feel like the Lord just wants to remind us that we are treasure. And we're also money in his hand to spend as he will. That's a little John Wimber thought I'd get that in there. But each one of us has treasure. We have treasure in jars of clay, the Bible says. We have treasure. We have gifts. We have talents. We have a purpose. We have a use. We have a function. And we're all invited into this church. We're all invited into this body. And it will be a lesser place without each member of this family. It would be less. But you know, in my drawer, there's also a few, like, things in here. So I nearly stabbed myself with this needle, which has a use and it has a purpose, but 
Each one of us have things in our life that maybe they've hurt us. Maybe they've damaged us a little bit. Maybe even church at some times has damaged us. Maybe other Christians have damaged us. We've each got things in our own life from some point that have wounded us. And we have that in our drawer as well. And then we meet everybody else in church and everybody else has different things in their drawer. And all this stuff, we all come together in this thing called family and we mix it up. And we all come together. And together we can make beautiful, wonderful, amazing things. We can do incredible things like we can serve the poor. We can make incredible worship music like we had this morning. We can do the different dreams and different things that God has invited us to do in our jobs, in our families, in our communities here on a Sunday. But also we come together and we bash about. And sometimes maybe we bang into each other a little bit or whatever it is. The Lord calls us with all our beauty, with all our differences, with all our little things that we find difficult. He invites us to come together and to show each other bags and bags and bags and bags and bags and bags and bags of grace. Because it's I. I am not perfect. I will never love you perfectly. I will try. I will not succeed. But I am a work in progress and the Lord is changing me from glory into glory and each one of us are a work in progress. And he invites us as we attempt to live in unity to sit with the Lord and to let him change us. And that is how we become a more beautiful family. Amen.